Well, this evening we're turning in the Word of God to Hosea, Hosea chapter 10, please. And we're going to read uh, some verses off this chapter, as the Lord has placed uh, a little phrase upon my heart. So Hosea chapter 10, and we'll read from verse 1 through to verse 12. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 1. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He hath increased the, alt the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. The heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. For now they shall say, We have no king, because we fear not the Lord. What then should a king do to us? They have spoken words, swearing falsely, and making a covenant. Thus judgment springeth up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of Beth-haven, for the people thereof shall mourn over it, and the priests thereof that rejoiced on it for the glory thereof, because it is departed from it. It shall also be carried unto Assyria for a present to King Jareb. Ephraim shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. As for Samaria, her king is cut off as the foam upon the water. The high places also of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come up upon, up on their altars. And they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. O Israel, thou hast sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood. The battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. It is in my desire that I should chastise them, and the people shall be gathered against them, when they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. And Ephraim is as an heifer that is taught, and loveth to tread out the corn. But I passed over upon her fair neck. I will make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break his clogs. So to yourselves in righteousness, Reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and reign righteousness upon you. Amen. We'll end our reading there, verse 12, and we will look to the Lord once again. And let's join as God's people in prayer, praying earnestly that the Lord will take the word that He has given and it will be an arrow into the heart and the soul of one who is not saved, whether here or online. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we thank the Lord for the privilege again that has been ours to come together to worship Thee, to sing songs of praise. Oh, what a blessed hymn that is. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity, saved and kept. What a blessed truth that is, Lord. We pray tonight for those who sit amongst us. We pray that thou would speak very definitely to their heart. Thou hast given the word. And in giving the word, now I pray that you will give me the help I need to deliver that word. I ask, O God, that thou will cleanse me. 
afresh in the precious blood, I confess to thee my unworthiness. And yet, Lord, I thank thee that thou hast lifted me, oh, from such depths thou hast lifted me, and washed me in the Redeemer's blood. And Father, I pray that thou would fill me with the Spirit, and by faith I take the promised Holy Ghost. Lord, little though my faith would be, though my understanding of such things is much limited, yet by faith I receive and take the Holy Ghost. And I pray that Thou would use me, all my faculties, my being I render unto Thy service, this very point and moment of time. And I pray that You will use me to speak to those who are gathered, who are not saved from our children, from the youngest to the oldest, and all in between, that the word will come with great power, that thou will single them out, that there will be a real descending of the atmosphere and the sense of the nearness and the presence of an almighty God, that sinners will tremble and they will know that this word is for them. Hear our prayer and accept of our thanks and bring glory to thy Son. For this I pray in his worthy and his precious name. Amen. Now, one of the favorite games in our house is the old classic, What Time Is It, Mr. Fox or Mr. Wolf? And I'm sure that many of you know that game. Many of you have played that game. Little children, you know that game. The rules of it, it's quite simple. There's one player. He's called Mr. Fox, Mr. Wolf. He stands at one end of the room or the garden. And then there are players and they stand at the other they call out to Mr. Fox, who has his back turned turn to them, what time is it, Mr. Fox? And he answers and responds with a time which they step out and they draw closer to him. Now, a Mr. Fox, he senses that the other players are near enough for him to reach out and grab. Well, then, when they ask what time is it, he answers with those words, dinner time, and, well, the chasing begins. Now, I would suggest to you that the most frequently asked question across the world every day is this, what time is it? Either you ask someone or you ask that question in your own mind, what time is it? We are creatures of time. We speak of the past, the present, the future, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our lives and daily routines are governed by time. We wake up and one of the first questions that comes into our minds is, what time is it? School, work, church begins, it ends at a particular time. When we have an appointment, it is at a certain time. There isn't a culture in this world that does not have a proverb or saying about time. We have sayings like, time flies, time is money, time Waits for no man. We speak of killing time or spending time or saving time or losing time. The Bible also has much to say and is filled with references to time. In fact, it's in the Bible that we find the origin of time because we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, there's time God created the heaven and the earth. It was then that the clock of time began to run. It was from that moment onwards, the reality of past, present, and future 
came into being. And once man was created, he could speak of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. See, before that, there was only the timelessness of eternity in which the triune God existed in blessed harmony, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A truth that if we stop to consider timelessness, eternity, if we stop to consider where souls will be filled with the awe and the majesty of His being, that there is this one who is from everlasting. And child of God, you were before time upon His heart. I would encourage you this evening just to take a few moments and as it were, extrapolate, extrapolate your mind back to the beginning of time and then beyond into the timeless eternity when God dwelt in that blessed harmony, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you were upon His heart. One well-known passage in Scripture concerning time is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And in verse 1 we read this, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. The time to be born and the time to die. Well, they are the great two events that circumvent our lives. All our yesterdays, all our todays, all our tomorrows are between the time of our birth and the time of our death. The verses go on to speak of certain other activities that happen to us or can be done by us in time. For example, there is a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to break down, and a time to build. Now, there is something else that can be done by an individual between the day of their birth and the day of their death. In fact, it must be done and can only be done between their birth and death if they are to be ready. Ready in the sense that their sins are forgiven and that they're in possession of a righteousness with which they can stand before God, ready to leave time and enter into God's great eternity. Now, what is it that sinners must do in order to be ready? What must you do, sinner? What can you only do between the day of your birth and the day of your death if you are to be ready? Well, it's simply this. Seek the Lord. You must seek the Lord. And that's what the prophet Hosea tells the people in his day. In verse 12, he tells them it is time to seek the Lord. Now tonight I've entitled my message, What Time Is It? And we're going to look to the, at the answer to that question that Hosea gives here under three simple headings. Here is a message for you, sinner. Don't be looking at your watch to see what time it is. Listen with your ears to the Word of God and get the answer to what time it is. It is time to seek the Lord. Simple headings. Firstly, tonight, why? Why are sinners to seek the Lord? Now, this statement that Isaiah or Hosea gives here, it is time to seek the Lord, it's obviously set in a context. 
These words were spoken by the prophet Hosea. There's very little known about that man. He was probably a native of the northern kingdom of Israel, since throughout the book he shows familiarity with the history, the circumstances, and the topography of that region. Although he addressed both the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah, he identified the king of Israel as our king. In chapter 10 and throughout the book, we notice that he interchanges Ephraim and Israel as he prophesies unto them. And why does he do that? Or what's the reason for that? Well, simply, Ephraim was one of the largest tribes in that northern kingdom. So that's how you understand that. When he's speaking of Ephraim, he's really addressing the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, he was sent to a people who had sinned against the Lord, and the evidence for that had filled the land. Israel's described there in verse 1. Look what it says. Israel is an empty vine. When Israel should have been bringing forth the sweet fruit of godliness and righteousness, being planted by the Lord and having every advantage to that end, there was nothing there that was pleasing to the Lord. Now, it wasn't that the kingdom was fruitless. Because we go on to read, but... But he bringeth forth fruit unto himself. This wasn't a fruit that the Lord could delight in. Rather, it was corrupt and evil fruit. And it was in abundance, for the land was filled with altars and false gods and idols and images. People's hearts were divided. Verse 2, their heart is divided. They thought that if they kept or added just a little of God and mixed it in with all their sinful living, well, then they would be okay. But that was not the case. You see, Hosea, he came with a warning. He warned of the certainty of judgment for a people who live in such a manner. You see, the mighty power of the Assyrian kingdom Fame for its merciless brutality was about to steamroll its way through that northern kingdom. Samaria, the most defended city, the capital, of that kingdom would fall. The king would also perish. The most defended man with garrisons of soldiers round about him, he would be as a foam upon the water. They would not be able to put up any resistance. Thousands would die and the rest would be taken away in captivity. So severe would be the cruelty of the Assyrians that in verse 8, Hosea says that those in that day would say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills, fall on us. It is with this warning of judgment, Certain impending judgment for continued sin that Hosea came with this message. It is time to seek the Lord. They were in great danger because of their spiritual condition. That is why they needed to seek the Lord. The sinner, this chapter paints, paints for us in a historical way why you too are to seek the Lord. You too can be described as an empty vine. God, by His providence, has planted you in rich, gospel, fertile ground. 
And you have many advantages that many people in this world do not have, and yet there is no fruit of righteousness or godliness in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is absent from your life, just as the figs were absent from that fig tree that Christ met as He entered into Jerusalem. And the reason why that fruit is missing from you is because the Holy Spirit does not dwell within But like Israel, it's not that you're fruitless. Rather, the fruit of the works of the flesh are present. They're manifest. Oh, maybe the the fruit of adultery or murder. It's not there as that fully matured fruit, but the seed of them is present in your corrupt and evil heart. The lust of the flesh. That's the seed of the fruit of adultery. Sectarian bigotry, that's the seed of murder. And while some things may not be there as fully matured fruit, there's other sins that are there developed and developing. Uncleanness, strife, envy, drunkenness, they're all there. Those fruits are abundant in your life. Your life is filled with idols. The false gods of this world, you bow at the altars of gold and silver and before the shrine of plenty and pleasure and popularity. And you think if you just keep enough of God, if you just keep on coming to church and fulfilling a weekly duty, that somehow you can keep on doing this and have a divided heart, a mixed heart, worship the gods of this world, and everything will be okay with you. But let me tell you, it won't. It won't. You're in danger. You're in danger because of your sin. You have transgressed the law of God, just as we all have, and yet you still persist. You're still impenitent, hard-hearted, even with the threat of judgment, God's judgment, upon you. You have not turned from your ways, just like Israel of old. Look at verse 9 in this chapter. You're just like Israel of old. O Israel, thou hast sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood. The battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. And what's that verse all about? Well, let me give you a summary. Because that account we find in Judges chapter 19 to ver- or chapter 21. And to summarize there, there were men of a city called Gibeah who belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. They grievously sinned, and they were severely judged for their sin. Now, that event was a witness of God's judgment against sin, and it was something that was lodged in the memory of the nation of Israel. They knew that God judged sin. And though Israel were not overtaken on that day, though many of Benjamin were, that event stood as a witness that God judges sin, and yet they persisted in their sin. That's like you. You've heard of the threat of judgment. We see judgment in this world with the things that are happening. And yet you are like Israel of old, and you persist. You continue on. 
Maybe the people of that day, they thought that judgment would not come, that they were not in danger, and they misinterpreted the long-suffering of God. But it would come. Judgment would come. And history records for us that Israel did not seek the Lord, and the Assyrian Empire came in and steamrolled over that northern kingdom. And saved in the gathering tonight, you're under condemnation. Judgment is coming, and if only you could grasp the severity of judgment. While you're in the day of grace and be moved, to do what Hosea exhorted the people of his day to do, be moved to seek the Lord. Well, then you'd be spared from the situation that we read in Revelation chapter 6 and the verse 16, when the ungodly will cry, and that day when judgment comes, they will cry to the mountains and to the rocks to fall on us and to hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? I want you to understand this this evening, why there is severity in God's judgment. There is no cruelty in it. Did you get that? Why there is severity in God's judgment, there is no cruelty in it, for it is according to justice. And sinner, you will get exactly what you deserve. You will not be able to say to God, this is so cruel of you. How can you do this? You're a cruel God. You'll not be able to say it, though it is severe. It is without cruelty because it is according to His justice and His righteousness. You sinner, if you will not seek the Lord, you will get exactly what you deserve. You are not to misinterpret God's forbearance and think that you are not in great eternal danger, for you are. And that's why, why you are to seek the Lord. But secondly, and this point is rather obvious, who are sinners to seek? Who are they to seek? Well, Hosea tells these people, it is time to seek the Lord. The Lord is the one whom the sinner is to seek if they want deliverance from judgment and eternal ruin. Now, what is interesting in this portion is Hosea tells these people that not only would they be taken away captive, but so would their gods. Verses 5 and 6, they deal with that point. You see, Bethel, the house of God, that's the interpretation of it, had become Beth-haven. What does that mean? The house of vanities or idols. And the golden calves that were there are set up in Bethel, and we read about them. They give an outward glory, a glory which the people rejoiced in, and that for which they substituted the glory of God for. But those golden idols and calves would be carried away as a bounty to the king of Syria. 
And their images and their idols will be able to do nothing for them in the day of judgment. And therefore, they were directed to seek the Lord. They weren't directed to seek the priesthood because it had become corrupted. They weren't directed to a particular grove or a place of worship. They weren't directed to go and seek out their own refuge and seek out their own inventions. They weren't told to go and seek some ritual or ceremony. They were told to seek the Lord, a divine person. That's what I say to you tonight. That's the one you are to seek. Turn to Amos. Amos, please. Uh, Chapter 5, and Amos was a prophet whose ministry overlapped a little with Hosea in the northern kingdom of Israel. And in chapter 5, he urges the exact same thing. Hosea chapter 5 and verse 4, and we read this here, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. So there's who they were to seek. And then there is what they are not to seek. He goes on to say, But seek not Bethel nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. I want to tell you, sinner, whatever idol you have in your life, Whatever altar you're bound before, whatever you've put before God, be it yourself, whatever it is, it will do nothing for you in the day of judgment. A day which is most certainly coming against you. Your money, your possessions, your friends will not be able to deliver you from God's wrath. This preacher, this denomination, The sacraments will be able to do nothing for you. That's why we urge you, sinner, to seek the Lord. The Scripture goes further, for not only does it exhort sinners to seek the Lord, but it gives them the encouragement that if they do seek the Lord for the salvation of their souls, He will be found of them. That's a most wonderful thing. You're not only exhorted to seek the Lord, but you're encouraged that when you do, He will be found of you. Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29. And we read there in verses 12 to 14. Then shall they call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search with me with all your heart, and I will be found of you saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. Here is the wonderful thing about the mercy and the grace of God. Though He is the one whom you have offended by your sin and idolatry, though He is the one who is a judge of all the earth, whose justice and righteousness are inflexible, He will not bend to accommodate your sinfulness, nor will He lower a standard to meet your inability. He is the one whom you are to seek, sinner. And He invites you to seek Him. Isn't that wonderful? God is. 
God is. And if you are going to seek Him, well, it implies a belief in that cardinal truth, the existence of God. See, many deny that there is a God, but the wonder of creation, the witness of the conscience, the worldwide consensus of men, and the word of the canon of Scripture, they all bear testament to the fact that there is a God and He, listen, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It's the Lord whom sinners are to seek, the Lord, Jehovah, the name by which God made Himself known unto Moses. You see, it was in the fulfillment of a covenant that God had made to deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, that he made himself known unto Moses by this great name. That's why it's often referred to the covenant name of God, the Lord Jehovah. It reveals something to us about who he is, because it is from the Hebrew, which means I am. He is the God that is, which was, and which is to come. He is the eternal one. He is self-existent, bounded by nothing, and dependent on no one. He is the infinite one. He does not change. There is nothing that can be added to Him. There is nothing that can be taken away from Him. He is the immutable one, eternal, infinite, and unchangeable. This is the God I present to you in the gospel. This is one who is worthy to be sought. Here is one who can do something about the danger that you are in. Now, how can he do that? Well, this, dear friend, brings us again to the heart of the gospel in the center of the Scripture, the cross. The cross. That's how you can be saved. By the cross, God sent His own Son into this world. He, remaining God, yet becoming man, was born under the law and subject to duty to keep that law. That He did. That He did in His life. Perfect obedience. Loving God with all His heart, His soul, His mind, His strength. Living in perfect obedience to God's will. Living that absolutely righteous life and thereby obtaining a perfect righteousness for sinners. Then the crowning act of his obedience, going to the cross and laying down his life as a ransom for the many, he becoming legally, not morally, but legally accountable and guilty for the sin of his people. And there at the tree, God pouring out his divine judgment upon him as he hung there as a sinner's substitute. It was there he shed his precious blood, the price of redemption. It was there that he died to pay the penalty for the broken law. And in all this, by his sinless life and his atoning death, Christ honored the righteous standard of God and satisfied divine justice. That's why you're to seek the Lord, seek him for refuge, seek him for redemption, seek him for righteousness. For it's all found in Jesus Christ. And that's what you need. You need a refuge. You need redeemed. You need a remedy for your sin. 
You need a righteousness and it's all found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you're to seek the Lord. It's found in no one or nowhere or nothing else but Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, you're not going to seek Him in vain. He'll not mock you. He's not deceiving you. He promises you that if you seek Him in this manner, He will save your soul. You know, there is a pronouncement of woe upon those in Scripture who do not seek His help. In Isaiah 31 and the verse 1, we read of those who look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Does that describe you? You haven't looked to the Lord for salvation. You haven't sought Him for the forgiveness of your sin. Well, let me tell you, the woe, the curse of God abides upon you. God's woe is upon those who do not seek the Lord. So we have thought about why sinners are to seek, who sinners are to seek, but finally this evening, when sinners are to seek. Well, the answer is found in our text. It is time. It is time to seek the Lord. In other words, Hosea was telling these people, now, now is the time to seek the Lord. Israel could ill afford to put off this matter. The very fact that the door of mercy was still open to a people to seek the Lord who had rebelled and sinned against Him in such a a high hand is astounding. But this shows us how patient God is. And how He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but does give them space to repent. God has been patient with you, sinner. He has given you opportunity after opportunity, and another one comes to you tonight, and He tells you once again, it is time to seek the Lord. You're not to seek the Lord tomorrow. You're not to seek the Lord next week, next year. You're not to seek the Lord if the, at the end of your days. Young child, little boy, little girl, you're, you're not to wait to seek the Lord until you're older. But now, it is time now. Now's the time. This night, this moment, while you have opportunity, not boasting yourself of tomorrow, because there's none of us know what a day brings forth. We're told in Isaiah, we read it, 55, verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And as the gospel is preached, Christ draws near. That's the time to seek him. In that moment, at that hour, don't say to yourself, you know, I'll seek the Lord in another time. Another time and it suits me better. At another time when I'm really in need. When I'm at death's door. Don't be like the man in Scripture who spoke of the convenient season that never came. My dear friend, you're in need now. That's why you need to seek the Lord now. The wrath of God, the curse of God, the woe of God is upon you now. George Root, he wrote the words of the hymn. What do you hope, dear sinner, to gain by a further delay? 
There's no one to save you but Jesus. There's no other way but His way. I read this morning in my devotional some words by George Swinnock the Puritan. And this is what he said, All the while you delay, God is more, more provoked. The wicked one more encouraged. Your heart more hardened. Your debt more increased. Your soul more endangered. Having a day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. The Lord Jesus walked among his own people. They heard him. They saw him. They knew him. But they did not receive him. And he warned him in John 7, 34, 33 to 34. He said that there would come a time when he would be no longer with them or among them. That he would go again to his father that sent him. That he would leave them and then it would be too late. He said, ye shall seek me. And shall not find me. And where I am thither you cannot come. You see, sinner in Christ's words, in a little time, in a little time he's with you. And the Spirit draws alongside to convict you. It's then, and it's at that moment you are to seek the Lord, lest, lest that little while end and the Spirit strives with you no more. And God gives you up to your sin, and it'll be too late to seek the Lord because He's gone. He's left you. That has happened. That does happen. That could happen. Even in the service tonight. How long have you been putting off salvation for now, sinner? If you will not seek the Lord now, can I ask you, why not? Why, why are you not seeking the Lord? And then can I ask you, when then will you seek the Lord? If not now, when? God has promised forgiveness to your repentance. But he has not promised tomorrow for you to repent. He's given you now. It's time to seek the Lord. It is time. Procrastination. The thief of time is one of the devil's greatest weapon to defraud the sinner of eternal life. The habit of putting off. You saying it's not time and God saying you it is time. The habit of putting off. It's fatal. It is fatal to your spiritual well-being. Behold, now is except the time. Now is a day of salvation. Turn as I close, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, wonderful words. Great words of encouragement to you tonight, sinner. Troubled, halting, lingering. Deuteronomy chapter 4, in the verse 29. Look what it says there. But if from thence, or we could read it like this, if from this moment, 
if from now, but if from this moment, if from now, thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him. If thou seek Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul, there's His promise to you. If from this moment, if you will call upon the Lord now, now, you'll find Him. Isn't that a wonderful word to you tonight? Oh, you've put it off before. But this is what he says, if from thence, from this moment, from now, he will be found of you. What time is it? You might be thinking that as I draw to a close. The rest maybe gets flicked up discreetly. Well, what time is it? What time's he finished at tonight? Such a common question, so frequently asked. You know, if the church was to ask, what time is it in a spiritual sense? The Apostle Paul would answer with the words of Romans 13, 11, and 12, it is high time. It's high time, church, to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. It's time, child of God, to get serious question for us tonight. What time is it? We can apply the words of Isaiah to our heart. It's time for us to seek the Lord until He rain righteousness upon us. Time to get serious for the night is coming when none of us can work. That's the time, church. But sinner, if you're to ask, what's the time? I answer you with the words of Hosea, it is time to seek the Lord. I trust every time you are asked, or you ask the question, what time is it? If God spares you to wake up in the morning, and that thought comes into your head, what time is it? May the words of Hosea burn into your soul. It is time. To seek the Lord. May He give you no rest and no peace until you do that. And you seek Him in salvation. And you seek Him for the forgiveness of your sins. And you seek Him for a righteousness which will justify you before God. It is time to seek the Lord. May God give you grace to do that this evening. May He bless His Word to all our hearts. Let's unite together as God's people. You're given now, sinner. Now is when you have been given. If from thence you seek the Lord your God, He will be found of you. I make myself available. You come and speak to me, young and old. You want to settle the matter now. God's not mocking you tonight. He would never do that. Not a God who would deceive you. But He will be found of you. If 
to seek him with all your heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray, Lord, in the simplicity of the word that it would speak to the hearts of young and old, boys and girls who maybe don't even know how to tell the time. But Lord, this night they're aware that it's time, it is a time for them now to call upon the Lord Jesus to forgive them off their sin. Lord, there's others here. And the clock of time has gone round many a time for them. Days and months and years and decades have passed and they have kept putting it off. Lord, burn this truth upon their soul. It is time to seek the Lord. Give them grace to do that. Bring them round to the inquiry room. Bring them to the foot of the cross. Father, bless the word as it's gone forth. Pray, O God, that thou be glorified even in the salvation of the lost. Pray, O God, that you will bring sinners unto yourself, those for whom Christ has died. Lord, we pray that none would put it off. Deal with hearts. Salvation is off the Lord. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be the portion of us, thy people, this night forevermore and every day that the sun will rise and set until the day break, the eternal day, and the shadows of this life, they flee away. Hear prayer Glorify thy Son, for I ask this in his precious and his worthy name. Amen.